people said, Amen. If that didn't light your fire, your wood's wet. That's all I can say. Good to have you this morning. Now, I was just told as I started to get up here, says, you might as well not preach today. Just let that settle it right there. But we're not. Just in case, we're not. We may not have a choice. <laughs> Did I do that? <laughs> if you will, turn with you in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. We got this new stuff that may have some problems for a couple of weeks before we get it all ironed out, so just in case. Matthew chapter 5, beginning of verse 13. Now, the bulletin says 14 and 15, but let's do 13 through 16. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Jesus is speaking, and there will be a passage you've read and heard many times, I'm sure. But listen to the words he speaks to us, beginning of verse 13 of chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's go a verse farther. Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophet, or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time we've had already this morning. And, Lord, for the, the good singing and just the, just the time to be here to worship you through song and through fellowship. And Lord, we just ask now that you would extend this period, that we just go through this passage real quick. And that, Lord, you'd open our hearts and our minds Lord, it's such of a simple passage that we've heard time and time again throughout our lives, probably. But, Lord, it says so much to us if we just stop and listen to what it's saying. Go with us. Guide our thoughts and guide our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Not too long ago, Newsweek magazine featured what they called the decline and fall of Christian America. Recent surveys reveal a larger percent of Americans nowadays have no interest in religion whatsoever. Now, let me share with you. If they had asked me that question, I'd have told them the same thing. I have no interest in religion. You say, what are you talking about? We don't need religion. We need Jesus. There's a whole lot of difference right there. Religion divides and kills Religion is why thousands of people are being slaughtered throughout the world today. Instead of religion, we need to embrace a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and with God himself. In the late 1980s, there was a financial crisis often referred to as the SNL crisis. Some of you probably remember it well. As many savings and loans failed because of bad loans the companies made. But let me tell you, did you realize we're facing an SNL crisis today in this world? Not saving loans, salt and light. Jesus didn't ask us. He didn't recommend. He didn't make a suggestion. He said, you are the light of the world. 
Jesus said, you are the light of the world. If you're a child of God, you're the light of the world. Now, I just said that we're facing a crisis because most of us are not the light of our worlds. There's some exceptions. But Jesus is speaking to us, and he's telling us through these simple passages that we just read that you are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. It doesn't matter who, where you come from. If you're a child of God, you are the light of the world. What does he expect from that then? He expects us to be the light. Now, I entitled this, this little light of mine because I don't know about you, but I've heard that song most of my adult life because my boys sang it up when they were little toddlers and into the groups like this this morning and so forth and all the things that go on. As I've shared before, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And so I don't remember singing that song. We may have. I don't know. But I do remember my boys as they began to grow up. Judy would teach them that little song, and then they'd go to their groups like we just had up here a while ago, and, and they'd sing that little song. And it just, you know, have you ever noticed that when they got that part, put it under a bushel, they didn't sing that part. They yelled out, put it under a bushel. No! That ought to be a awakening call for you and I. Because we're not to put it under a bushel either. But it's, it's a crisis that we have in this world right now. We've talked about before what it means to be the salt of the earth. In this message, we'll examine what Jesus meant when he declared, You are the light of the world. He didn't ask you to be. He didn't recommend you to be. He says, You are the light of the world. Now, what we do with that is a totally different subject. We read Matthew chapter, chapter 5 through 15, but Jesus didn't say try to be the light of the world. Strive to be the light of the world. He declared to you and I that we are the light of the world. He didn't ask your opinion. He said if you're a child of God, you are the light of the world. As I said, being who you are in Christ is more important than doing something for God. We all like to do things for God, but who you are in Christ is far more important than that. I heard a, an old preacher down from the south used to say, you've got to be who you is because if you ain't who you is, then you is who you ain't. That's pretty good theology when you stop and think about it. There's a lot of truth in that. So what does it mean for us to be the light of the world? What does that really mean? What's he saying to us? There are three spiritual principles I think we can get out of this passage we just read. And first one of them is, our, as our world grows darker, the need for light increases. And folks, if you don't see our world growing dark, something's wrong with you. Jesus was the master teacher. But did you ever realize how he taught? He used ordinary concepts like salt, like birds, like flowers to teach us the principles of God. I mean, that's how he taught. Now, I'm not that good at it, so I don't try to do that too much. But we all understand light and darkness. Alongside the little truth of, literal truth of the light and darkness, there is a spiritual truth there as well. And here's why I think we've missed sometimes. In the Bible, life is always designated as truth and goodness. Darkness is always used to characterize evil and deception. Now think about our world today, the nonsense we've got going and all the politics and all of this stuff. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, if you're for Trump, against you, that, that's irrelevant. 
Look at the darkness in our world today. I mean, people can't even say something on the street without being mugged because others didn't agree with it. People are shot for things nowadays in our world because of who you stand for. I don't care who you stand for. We need to stand for God, number one. That ought to be our motives. But hell is described as a place of outer darkness, and the devil is called the prince of darkness. On the other hand, the Bible says God is light, and that in him is no darkness at all. That ought to excite us. There always, has always been a spiritual darkness around. We know that as far as time can go back. But it seems to me that the darkness in, is increasing in our world today. Just what we hear on TV, I mean, this group hates this group, so this group wants to kill this group or cut the heads off or whatever it may be. That's in our world now. We're facing that. I'm going to be honest with you. It scares me to death for my granddaughter and grandson to grow up in this world, what's going to be in four or five years. I don't know what it's going to be like. I hope God takes me out before too long and gets me out of this mess. In fact, let me give you a comparison. In 1966, Charles Whitman climbed to the top of the tower at the University of Texas, just not too far from here. He pulled out a rifle and started shooting, ultimately killing 14 people. That kind of random violence was never heard of before that, or very rare, I should say. It probably happened, but, I mean, this was just unbelievable to people. Now we hardly go a week without the news tells us of some school shooting or some church shooting or somebody began to get mad and shot 14 people. That's nothing today. Our world is getting darker and darker and darker, folks. So what's the problem? What's we, what are we talking about? That's why Jesus came to bring light to people in the darkness. The Bible says in Mark, Matthew chapter four, four, excuse me, Matthew four sixteen, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, one of the tragedies of living in an increasingly dark world is many Christians are gradually becoming used to the dark. Let me say it again so you listen this time. It's a danger when you live in the dark so long, you begin to get used to it. Have you ever walked into a theater, movie theater? You come from outside and you walk in and you can't see anything. Or walk out for that matter. You go back out and you're blinded by the light. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. When you walk into a dark place, it's going to begin to affect you. And the darkness is affecting us in many ways today in the churches, in the places we go. <clears throat> the preacher, the great preacher writer Vance Havner wrote something, and it was written in 1964. Let me read you his words, just see how if you agree or not. If his words are true, then how much truer should it be 55, 60 years ago? Listen to these words. It's what he wrote back in 1964. We are living in the dark. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. 
The depths of present-day human depravity are too vile for any word in our language to describe. We are seeing not ordinary moral corruption, but evil, double-distilled and compounded in weird, uncanny, and demonic combinations. Concoctions of iniquity never heard of a generation ago. We not only live in the dark, we get used to the dark. There is a slow, subtle, sinister brainwashing processing process going on, and by it we are gradually being desensitized to evil. There was a time when sin shocked us, but as the brainwashing progresses, what once amazed us now amuses us. That was written in 1964. Now just go a few years farther and look at our world today. I don't know about you, but I believe he was right on target when he said those words. Our world is getting darker. It's getting more pessimistic. It just means that there is a greater need for light. We're the children of light in a dark world. And there's never been a greater time or a need for a message about this about love and hope. Now, we hear it sporasmatically on the TV, oh, but we just need to learn to love each other. But we never seem to get there. We don't like them because they're a different nationality. We don't like them because they're a different color. We don't like them because they're a Democrat or we're a Republican or whatever it may be. We don't like those people. And so what God says, this is expected because it's the world that we're living in right now. These people over here don't do these things. I heard about a salesman some time ago that uh, he's a shoe salesman. His company sent him to Africa. He is over about a month or two, and he contacted the office and said, Man, get me home. These people over here don't even wear shoes. So he got another salesman. He went over there. He was just a little bit different. About three months into it, he says, called the company office and says, Hey, send me all the shoes you've got. He says, These people hadn't worn shoes yet. That's the way we ought to look at it. That's how I feel about the future of the church. Yes, we hear all these bad things about the church. Church is closing up. Church is losing members. Church is not having the members if they used to. All these things we hear about. But let me tell you something. That doesn't discourage me. That encourages me. Because it gives us more opportunities for a Bible-believing, soul-winning church like Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. That shouldn't discourage us. That just gives us more things to do to reach out to them, to find people. Here two or three weeks ago, we had what we called Mission Cove out there, the big tent. Many of you drove by and saw it if you didn't know what it was. Just a good time. Now, we didn't have a great attendance. It was 125 degrees one day, I think. But it just, I mean, it, it was hot. But I want you to look around. Right here today, we've got several families that came from that. Don't tell me God's not good in the spite of evil. God's good all the time. We may not see it. In fact, I remember complaining, well, that's just, it's just not very successful, is it? And then the next Sunday we had about three families that visited with us. God says, see, I showed you I could do it. We shouldn't be discouraged. It ought to encourage us more to reach out to these families to reach out to people in our community, to reach out and share God, to let them see Christ in us. Do you know that's the best way you can witness to somebody? When they see Christ in you, there's something that just draws them out. Now, that doesn't mean all the time we're that way, 
But when they see Christ in us, as we go in the streets, as we go in Walmart or H-E-B or all the other places, and they see the frustrations that come out of people, and hopefully they see a different reaction when you and I are in there. Not all the time. I've been at Walmart looking for a parking place, and I probably honked my horn a few times at some people I shouldn't have. Probably said some things under my collar I didn't want to say. But yet we ought to share Jesus Christ with them. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Put it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. Do we do that, though? The second thing we see, Jesus radiates light so I can reflect his light to others. When Jesus said, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, now, I checked with a friend of mine that most of you all know him, Jerry Jewell. He goes over to Israel every year, and I asked him about this, and he confirmed this, so I've, it's been verified. I think you'd tell the truth. But anyway, it's, uh, if you go to, the, to, the, to that part of the world, you can see, still see white limestones up on a uh, hillside, I guess you call it, where that once a city set. And those limestones at night reflect that light for a long ways off. Now, again, I've never been to Israel. I don't know that. Jerry told me that. I'm, I'm assuming that's right. I don't know. But anyway, you can't hide that city because the white buildings reflect the light from that old torn down city years and years gone. But it's still got the big limestone blocks up on top of the hill. And you can see them for a great distance off. Doesn't that tell us something? You can try to scratch out God all you want, but he don't go away. He's not leaving. He's on duty 24-7. He's on duty when you have a stroke. He's on duty when you have a heart attack. He's on duty when you lose your legs. He's still there all the time, and it's there. Then Jesus said the light of a lamp is wasted when it's put under a bowl. When he said this, homes were illuminated by clay pots filled with olive oil. Each lamp contained a cloth wick soaked in the oil which burned. Fire was valuable back in those days because it wasn't easy to ignite a fire. You either had to go to another fire source and get it off, or you had to flint, strike flint together to hopefully get it started. It was a hard process. It wasn't something easy. Nowadays, we go across to Walmart and buy a lighter and just light it. They didn't have that back then. Walmart. Walgreens, isn't it? <laughs> Not Walmart. <laughs> they didn't have matches. They didn't have lighters. They rubbed two pieces of flint together to strike a match, to start a fire. At night, a family might take a lamp and place it on the floor and put a clay pot over it. A little air would feed from that flame from under the uneven base of the bowl. This way, the lamp wouldn't go out during the night, but neither would it burn brightly and keep the family awake. So it's sort of like the first century nightlight, I guess you could say. Instead, when the light was needed, the lamp was placed on a high ledge and it would light the whole room. Have you ever been in a room even this big and all the lights were turned out and one person held up a candle or a match or something other? It illuminates the whole room. It's not a bright light, obviously. 
One of my favorite services, we have a candlelight service every Christmas. And when the lights are turned down and the light, candles begin to go out from this lamp to the, this candle to the rest of them and all the way down the, as the guys walk down the middle aisles and lighten this candle, before long it's a, you can see everybody. That's exactly what he's talking about. When I take my little light and go out and it reflects in you and it begins to go other places or you take yours, when you let, light your light, it begins to reflect not you, but Jesus. What a difference that is. So which one is it? Is he the light of the world or is he the light of the Is he the light of the world or are we the light of the world? John chapter eight verse twelve says this I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is like the sun. We're like the moon. Now, just this morning, my little dog decided he needed to go outside about 2.15 this morning. He doesn't get up and wake up his mama. He comes to my side, gets up right in my face, and I open my eyes and scared to death. And here's a face looking at me. I stagger a little bit. I said, you need to go outside, and he takes off for the door. I thought, we better get there fast. So I jump out of bed and go out there. Did you happen to go outside this morning before daylight? That full moon literally was so bright it was a shadow of me standing out in my yard. Now, wait a minute. Let me tell you something. I remember being in school. I started to say a couple years ago, but I get a lightning strike, so I'm not going to say that. And the teachers told us the, mind, the moon does not shine. What? It was bright this morning. It was full this morning. All the moon is is a big old rock in the sky. It reflects the sun. That's what we get. That moon, we say the moon shines, but it doesn't. It just sits there and reflects the sun off of it. And I thought, as I thought about that, I thought, what a great illustration that is. We're not little gods. We just reflect God. That's all we are. We're nothing special. I hate to break your bubble, but you're not anything special. You're just an old rock. But that old rock reflects Jesus when we let it. It reflects Jesus in everything we do. The sun radiates. The moon reflects. Like the moon, we only reflect the light of Jesus. Oh, we can get excited and have some good service and, oh, Jesus just used me today. No, he didn't. He reflected off of you. He could have called the stones to life if he'd so wanted to. Jesus radiates. Now, watch this. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faithfulness, and self-control. Every day of our lives. You say, well, why is it that some days I don't feel that way? Because you're not letting it reflect. You're not letting it allow, allowing it to reflect off of Him to you. It's not you. It's Jesus that lights us. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Number three, I light my world by acts of kindness that put the spotlight on God. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus explains how we light our world. He said, let your light, let me start that over. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It's not about us, people. It's about God. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about Him illuminating us. Some people say, well, be, kind to your, be kind for kindness sakes, or be good for goodness sakes. But Jesus said, we should be kind for the sake of glorifying God. That's what we ought to be kind for. That ought to motivate us when we're in that line at Walmart standing there, and it's not moving, and all of a sudden they change checkers. You've got to sit there for 20 minutes to not say what you want to say. When we get in a situation where we're pressed and we're tired and we're worn out, it's not say what you want to say. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Oh, we all like that, the good works. And glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus said we should be kind for the sake of glorifying Jesus Christ or glorifying God, either one. It's easy to say, I love God, but the Bible says if you say that you hate your brother, then you are a liar. How many times do we say harsh words against brothers and sisters, even in the church sometimes? It's also easy to say, I love people, but unless you prove it, by performing acts of kindness to them, then you're just adding to the darkness. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. We light our world as we perform acts of kindness to other people. But notice Jesus didn't say we should perform random acts of kindness or acts of kindness that bring attention to ourselves. He clearly said we're lighting our world when we do acts of kindness that spotlight directly on Jesus Christ. That's when we begin to see it. In order to do this, we must let people know that we are showing kindness to them because God has shown kindness to you and I. I don't know about you, but I thank God every day because I was once a sinner and now I'm saved by grace. It wasn't anything I did. But God showed kindness on me and He's telling us we need to show kindness on other people because of what God's done for us. Will you light your world this morning? Don't worry about lighting the whole planet. Just allow God to let you light your little space. Your little area, wherever that may be, your circle of friends, however you want to say it. Just allow your light to shine forth in your world. Your world may be your family, your workplace, your classroom, your neighborhood. Back in the 1980s, when this, uh, what do you call the new music? The new music came out, the contemporary music, what it's called. Back in the 80s, one of my favorite Christian groups was New Song. I don't know if you remember New Song or not, but it was one of the first contemporary groups, and I, I liked it, and it just, it just really got there. They recorded a song entitled, Light Your World, and it was the memory of that song that really gave me the, 
but whatever, to write the, to do this message. I want to let, let, listen to these words. This is written back in the 80s. I don't remember exactly what. I believe it was the early 80s, but I'm not sure. Here's the words of that song, Light Your World. Two doors, de- uh, two doors down, one rocking chair's rocking. She sits there all along, her husband dead and gone. The best years of her life they spent together. He was always strong, but now she's on her own. And the telephone never rings. No one laughs. No one sings. It's quiet there. Does anybody care? A knocking at her door breaks the silence. She looks up to see a little boy from down the street. She cracks the door, surprised that he came over. Flowers in his hand like a little gentleman. He said, I picked these just for you. I hope you like the color blue. Can I stay a while? I love to see you smile. Light your world. Let the love of God shine through. In the little things you do, light your world. And though your light may be reaching only two or three, light your world. I want to close by doing something to... Well, let me go a little farther. One of the songs that the kids used to sing, sing, sang, used to sing is this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I remember as my boys, probably four or five years old, began to sing that song. And every time, I don't know if the teacher told them to or what, but they'd come and put it under a bushel and then all shout out, No! Let my little light shine. I'm going to let it shine. Kids still sing that song today. Put it on a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Let me ask you, and I want to finish with just something else here real quick in just a moment. Are you letting your light shine today, really? Are you letting your light shine? Dr. David Dykes is the pastor of Green Acres Baptist Church in Tyler, Texas. I've had the opportunity to meet him two or three times. Now, he probably wouldn't remember me from nobody. But nonetheless, I've had the, pop, a popper, uh, the opportunity to meet him. He speaks at a lot of our Southern Baptist conventions and so forth and different you know, functions we have and great speakers. This church he's at, and I don't have any clue, but I'm going to guess it's at least 8,000 every week. I mean, it's a big church down in Tyler, Texas. It's easy to find because they've got several campuses all over town. Anyway, he gave his testimony at one of the meetings I was at, and I don't remember where it was or anything, just one of the Southern Baptist meetings we had. And it touched me so much, I got in contact with him and asked if I could have a copy of that. And he said, yeah, I'll have my secretary send it to you. And I got it. I want to share this with you. And it's, it's a little bit lengthy, but I'll try to get through it without stumbling too much. But I think it, because it applies to so many of us when you hear his testimony. Here's his words. This is Dr. David Dykes. When I was a teenager, I had a life-changing experience that taught me a powerful lesson about not having my light. I grew up in a little town in South Alabama and went to church from the, same, from the time I was born. I became a Christian when I was a child, and for the first six, years, six or seven years of my Christian life, I was as dedicated as possible for a child. But when I got into, my, into the ninth grade, I discovered sports and girls... And those two attractions turned my attention away from God. I attended church and participated in the activities because my parents made me. But I complained about it. I played on the high school varsity football team as a freshman. And when I heard the upperclassmen cussing, I thought it was cool. So I wanted to cuss too. 
I was so serious about it that I went to the high school library, found an unabridged dictionary, and looked up profanity. I filled out index cards and wrote down those ugly words until I could string them together in a full sentence of obscene cussing. When I would miss a pass or tackle, I'd let out a full vocabulary, fly with the other guys would say, Man, Dax, you sure can cuss. I thought I was cool. I developed two vocabularies because at home and at church, I would turn it off like a faucet. I was a hypocrite, which means two-faced. I started hanging out with those guys, and when they handed me a beer or moonshine, I joined them to be cool. I was saved, and I knew I was saved. I was running from God and dishonoring Him through my two-faced lifestyle. Halfway through my freshman year, a family moved up from up north moved across the street from us. And that's when I met Donnie for the first time. He was a couple years older than me, and he had his own car, a Plymouth Roadrunner. He was also an athlete, so we became friends. I rode to school with him, and on Friday and Saturday nights, we'd drive down to Florida, which was only about two minutes from our city limits. We pulled up into the parking lot of a beer joint and waited for somebody over the age 21 to go in and buy something we could drink. Then we could cruise around town drinking beer, listening to the young rascal singing Good Loving over his 8-track tape player. I thought I was the coolest guy in town. Donnie's family never went to church, and we never talked about spiritual matters when we're hanging out. Donnie played on our basketball team, and one night we were riding back on the school bus after, the, he had had, after we had had a game, which meant we could cut up because if we lost, the coach may have sit there and be quiet all the way home All the mistakes, about all the mistakes we made. I was in the back of the bus with, bus with some of the guys singing, Give Me a Ticket for an Airplane. And somehow the topic, topic of conversation switched around to church. I didn't bring it up, and I didn't want to talk about it. But right there in front of my friends, Donnie looked at me and said, Hey, Dax, you go to church every Sunday, right? I couldn't deny that because he saw my family loading up every day going to church. Then he, then he said, Man, why do you go? What do you get out of it? I was embarrassed but brushed off his question by saying, Oh, I just go because my dad makes me. Besides that, I can sit in church and hold hands with my girlfriend. I didn't realize at the time, but I was hiding my light, putting under a bowl. Then the conversation steered away from the church, and I remember breathing a mental sigh of relief when we got, off and got on another topic. A few weeks later, I was in Panama City, Florida, with my family visiting my grandparents for the weekend. On that Friday night, Donnie had headed out to do what we usually did, but since I was gone, he did it alone. Later, some of my friends told Donnie he had been drinking and pulled up to a local hangout. Some guys from a neighboring town, our biggest rivals, ridiculed Donnie's roadrunner. Apparently, they made a bet that he couldn't go around Harrison's Curve at 80 miles an hour. Harrison's Curve is a turn almost 90 degrees, just north of my hometown on U.S. Highway 331. Donnie took them up on the bet, but he lost the bet and lost his life. Because he wrapped that Plymouth Roadrunner around a big tree on the outside edge of town. On Saturday morning, my grandmother's phone rang, and I could hear my mom talking to someone. I had helped my grandmother work, my granddad work in the yard that morning, so I was in the bathtub when I, my mom knocked on the door. Through the door, I heard her say something I'll never forget. She said, David, last night Donnie was killed in a car wreck. Isn't that awful? 
I was stunned, and immediately two separate thoughts flashed through my mind. At that time, I didn't know the details of what happened, but I realized if I hadn't been in Panama City, there was a good chance I would have been in the car with him. But that thought soon evaporated and was replaced with a second thought that still lingers with me almost 45 years later. I suddenly remembered that night on the bus when Donnie had looked at me and said, Dax, why do you go to church? What do you get out of it? I realized it was Donnie's way of asking if there really was a reason I went to church. He was looking for some light in his darkness. I took my light and hid it. Only God knows whether Donnie went to heaven or not, but I doubt it. Because in the few months I knew him, he never once gave any indication or even talked to me about believing in God. You may be thinking that an experience like that can mess up a teenager. After a few weeks of wandering around in a daze, God broke through me, through, through my shame, excuse me, God broke through my shame and grief, and I heard him say, David, you can no longer live two lives. Either get in all the way or get out. I don't know if it's spiritually possible, but I humbly said, God, I'm sorry. I brought shame to you, so please forgive me. Since that time, my theme has been, put it under a bushel, no. I'm going to let it shine. And like I said, today that church probably, and I'm just guessing, I don't know around this anyway, probably runs 8,000 people. He speaks nationally. And a lot of places he shares that testimony. Folks, a lot of Christians put it under a bushel. No, let's let it shine. Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. Lord, as we come to close this service, we just ask you to speak to our hearts, our minds, but, Lord, even to our souls that perhaps we also in the Christian life are really being a hypocrite. We're not living what we claim to be. Lord, if that be the case with anybody here, don't let these doors close until each single person has had an opportunity to come to know Jesus. Lord, there is no guarantee of somebody coming back next week. We don't know what will happen. This old world's crazy. There could be somebody walk in this building just like they have many churches and just start shooting one day. Don't let our lights go out before we've let the shine before people. Lord, guide our thoughts this morning. Again, we ask if anybody here has any need, our deacons will be on the sides over here. They're welcome to talk to them. You can come pray, whatever, whatever the need is. You can take somebody in the hand and bring them with you and say, hey, just go pray with me. And I promise you they'll do it. Whatever the need, don't leave this building without Jesus. The cost is too great to pay. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.